You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, all who do evil are good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a washer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be swift to bear witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in their wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust aside the alien and who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you in your tithes and offerings? May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that we may encounter you, the living word, through your word proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you heard why do we buy babies new clothing? All right, I just had a grandson, um, number seven grandchild. And he's beautiful, sweet Charlie, okay? And, um, but he doesn't really need all the new stuff that we've bought him. In fact, uh, I, I need to keep my wife out of the baby section because uh, we keep buying him stuff. But I confess, I bought him a pair of leather moccasins, which will really come in handy, I'm sure. But I, they look like they should have them, right? Um, and the other interesting thing, he's too small. He, he's still too small to wear anything. At least as of last week, he was still having to wear preemie stuff. But he's doing, doing great. But again, we buy him new things. And I'm not the only one. We're not the only one. Everyone in my large family have bought Charlie things. So he's doing quite well, and he'll probably outgrow all of it before he can wear it, right? Um, hand-me-downs. How many? We've all worn hand-me-downs, right? Uh, you know, I have four sons. So it was not so much hand-me-downs as it was a communal closet, right? And in spite of our best offers, that communal closet often turned into piles on the floor, right? Those of you who've had sons. Now, there's no shame in hand-me-downs. Matter of fact, uh, thrifting is a trending thing, right? So it's kind of in style to buy other people's stuff, right? But when it comes to life and to faith, that's a different thing. As I've been thinking about Malachi for the last three weeks, which is the hazards of vacationing when you're a preacher, um, I kept hearing that old Guess Who song 
in my head as I was thinking about the underlying theme of Malachi. You may not remember it, but uh, it went something like this. Anybody here see the noise, see the fear and commotion? I think we missed it. Anybody here see the love, see the hate, the emotion? Don't give me no hand-me-down shoes. Don't give me no hand-me-down love. Don't give me no hand-me-down world. I got one already. It was kind of this prophetic song, if you would, about this idea, are we really changing the world? And uh, I'm not so sure 50 years later, they're not still right. In many ways, these last verses in the Hebrew Bible have a similar attitude. Malachi, or the messenger, they might actually even been a historic Malachi. The word means messenger. So whoever this anonymous messenger is, is talking about a time and a situation where people seem to have a hand-me-down religion. Now, Malachi is not a book that Christians spend a lot of time in. For that matter, neither do Jews spend a lot of time in it. I mean, there is the prophecy about the return of Elijah, which we as Christians interpret as John the Baptist. There's a text about Jacob and Esau that's unfortunately used to have a bad understanding of predestination. And of course, preachers throughout the years have used Malachi as a stewardship sermon to try to make people feel bad about what they're not doing in giving to the church. But I think there's something actually very parallel to our own time going on in the time of Malachi, probably sometime in the fifth century before the Common Era. The people of Israel are going through the motions. You know, they're not disillusioned enough to be atheist. And it was hard to be an atheist in the fifth century BCE. Frankly, it's hard to be an intellectually honest atheist in the modern world. It's possible, but it's hard to be an atheist. So they're not disillusioned enough to be atheists, but they're not passionate enough to be faithful. It feels like a hand-me-down religion. In many ways, it was the religion that they were given, and they're going through the motions. You know, at the first look at this passage, or these, whole, these 55 verses, it looks like a dialogue. There are all kinds of rhetorical questions that are put in the mouths of the people or the mouths of the priest. Questions like this. How have you loved us, God? How have we despised your name? How have we defied you, defiled you? Do, you not, do we not have God as our father? How have we wearied you, God? How have we robbed you? And they save the zinger till the end, because this is actually supposedly what the people are saying. It's vain to serve God. What do we profit by keeping his commandment or by going about as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Now we count the arrogant, happy, evildoers not only prosper, but when they put God to the test, they escape. In other words, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, but it's not going so well for me. But all these other people, these people that are crooked, that don't care about God, they seem to be doing fine. But the God of the messenger is not buying their complaints. What seems to be a dialogue between God and various groups, if you take a closer look, it's more what the Greeks define as a diatribe. You know what a diatribe is? We've all been part of diatribes, okay? Either as the giver or the receiver, okay? A diatribe is when there are two people in the room 
but only one of you are, is doing the talking. And it's God who's doing the talking here. God confronts them by reminding them of his love. You know, the passage from Revelation, it's a beautiful passage. It's to the church at Ephesus. In the church of Ephesus, there's so many compliments that the church of Ephesus is given. But the angel says, we have one thing against you. You have forgotten your first love. You're, you're still doing a lot of good things in the name of Christ, but you've forgotten that it was always about love. First about God's love for you, then your love for God and the world. And that's such an easy thing to forget. It's an easy thing to forget in relationships, right? It's easy to neglect the people you love the most. God confronts them by reminding them that he loves them. That they are constantly asking God for more, but giving him blemished sacrifices. He confronts the priests and the leaders who have shrinked or shirked from their responsibilities. He confronts the people for disavowing the terms of the covenant and the way they treat the vulnerable, even the way they treat their own families and their wives. And his response to all their complaints is this. For the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you have not perished. You're still here, in other words. I've not gone anywhere. I've not changed. My love for you has been consistent. And then he says, return to me, and I will return to you. Return to me. We'll talk about this after church, but it's a phrase that just shows up in all of these latter prophets. There's an echo of the Exodus, but it's called, come home, come back to me. Augustine once said that God is always with us, but we are not always with God. And I think the age we live in is one where we think that we know best. We tag God on in whatever image we make God. G.K. Chesterton once said, the danger of loss of faith in God is not that one will believe in nothing, but rather that one will believe in anything. <laughs> I think that's 2023. We'll believe in anything if it confirms our prejudices, if it reinforces what we already think. And that's true across the board, from religion to politics to everything else. What happened in the fifth century is happening now, and it's a failure to truly recognize God as God. So we've made a lot of other things more important, God. That's the first commandment. Break the first commandment. We chase the material world as if it's the most important thing. That's breaking the second commandment. But I think the greatest religious sin in American Christianity, doesn't matter which kind of Christianity it is, it's, that's one thing. We may be divided ideologically, but we're united in the way that we all get it wrong. And I think we, we misuse the third commandment. What's the third commandment? You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And I think 
using the Lord's name in vain is when we throw around the term God without it really meaning the gravity that it should. It's one thing when you're hammering and you miss the nail and hit your, hit your thumb and say a little prayer. Matter of fact, yeah, I, I was told when I was working, I worked my way through college doing carpentry and uh, my foreman one time said to me, Bill, you go to church, don't you? I go, yes, sir. He goes, you can't do carpentry without cursing. So he gave me a pass. <laughs> and he was right. He was right about that, right? But taking the Lord's name in vain is not letting a word slip when you smash your finger or when you're driving in a fair state in New Jersey. <laughs> it's, it's emptying the word out of its meaning. Tomas Halik has written a new book. You know, he's one of my favorite thinkers. I think we're going to be reading this book during Lent next year. He has a very interesting take on this whole idea of what we've done to the word God in our culture. Our interpretation of the, this is from Halik, our interpretation of the phrase God is dead and God has died maintains that these statements express the experience that previous talk about God, indeed the very word God, is now meaningless. It might be possible to discover God again, but only by looking at Christ. Old talk about God has become incomprehensible and implausible. He goes on and says this, we killed God by draining God's name of meaning and devaluing it, by inscribing it on our battle flags, by sneaking it into advertising gimmicks, into speeches that are propaganda for our own political aims. We have sullied in it in pamphlets of labored proofs of God's existence and in barrels of bigoted boulder dash full of threadbare cliches. In other words, we blame, we look out as a secular world, but it's religious people who have taken the Lord's name in vain. We need to return. And how do we return? We return by remembering. God says, remember that I have not gone anywhere. I have not changed. You are still my people. Since football season is beginning, a football story. I love the movie, Remember the Titans. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a, based on the integration of a uh, football team in Virginia. A predominantly African-American school was merged with a predominantly white school, and the football team becomes integrated. And an African-American is the coach, played by Denzel Washington. And he has them on their summer training, and you don't know where they're at initially, but he gets them up at 3 o'clock in the morning and is running them through the woods. And as the sun's coming up, you realize they're at Gettysburg College, and they're on the campus, or they're on the battle, Gettysburg battlefield. And he talks about what happened on that field. 50,000 Americans killed each other on that field. I just have to say, when people throw around the word civil war and political rhetoric nowadays, it just shows how remarkably ignorant they are of the tragedy of our own history. 
And in the movie, the coach is giving a speech and he reads a gravestone that says, I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hated, hatred destroyed my family. The call of the Christian community is to remember who God is and recommit to remembering who we are. Malachi is a pretty tough book, but at the end there's this beautiful passage that says this, then those who received the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord took note and listened, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who revered the name and thought of his name. There were a lot of people who were arguing with God, making excuses, rationalizing. But it says there was a small group who listened and remembered and revered the Lord. As we begin our second year together, and we're approaching our 240th year as a congregation, let us be counted with those who listen to the Lord. Let us be counted with those who revere his name. Let us be counted with those who think on him. And then love his creation and love his world accordingly. And it says, the Lord says, they shall be mine. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let us stand together and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to continue your worship by giving the God your gifts, your and your offerings. 